0: It's time to see what's behind door number two it's high noon for wednesday november 24th 2021 follow the podcast on the telegram messenger app at t.me slash i'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash i'm reasonable you can also find me on gab and Getter at i'm your moderator the sub is i'm your com, and the merch site is cancel com, or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture Today is the 308th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You are so used to doing things for show and wanting people to watch you that now you've got everyone watching, and we finally see who you are and what you've always wanted. It's like the dog chasing after the truck, not knowing what happens when he finally catches it. That's essentially what we have with Party of False Decorum commies chasing after attention chasing after the admiration of society broadly and not realizing that once they turn that spotlight on themselves and people see who they actually are without the protection of media, without the protection of the entertainment industry, without the protection of censorship. Well, what's left is an amoral, uninformed bunch of incompetent narcissists. And if this is becoming obvious to you, it's time to just simply let go. Just let go. Get rid of all the stupid and evil communist ideas. Make amends with all the people you've shamed and bullied and slandered and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs and migrate back to America, where all of us will accept you with open arms because we want more Americans involved in the project of human liberty and self-governance. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Wednesday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. Welcome. Now, if you're thinking we are not being exposed as incompetent narcissists, I'd have to go ahead and disagree. You elected Joe Biden to be president, except you didn't actually elect him. You voted for him. And then you pretended he won. And then you attacked everyone else who could see that he obviously didn't win and that there's no way in the world Joe Biden approached anything nearing 81 million real legal American votes. But you went with it because it suited your needs, especially the needs of your carefully curated self-image. And you've continued to support and continued to support and hopefully You're reaching the point or you have reached the point. Maybe that's why you're here where you have realized that, oh, no, something has gone terribly wrong. Now, I want to assure you that more things will go terribly wrong for the Democrat Communist Party and its supporters before all of this is over. One of those things is how they're going to handle Who is actually in the White House? Now, last weekend, Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn was on Fox News with Maria Bartiromo, and she said she was interested to see who the Democrat Communist Party, those are my words, not hers, would replace Kamala Harris with to be the vice president, because there actually is talk of that. Now, why would you replace the vice president? Now, I mean, Kamala Harris is an absolutely terrible politician, a terrible person, totally incompetent, a raging narcissist with terrible communist priorities, who is corrupted and controlled by global communists. All of that is true. That said, that's still the person they put on the ticket. And yes, she has failed with every task she has been given. But the truth is, she was only given those tasks to act as Joe Biden's human shield so that he couldn't be blamed for the unfixable problems he is creating intentionally. Because the thing is, they're not trying to fix these problems. They don't believe they're problems. These are elements of their agenda. These are things that they have wanted the whole time but they know the American public doesn't like them. So they put Kamala Harris on the case and they let Kamala Harris take all the flack for being an incompetent narcissist while Joe Biden hides in his basement and walks away from reporters when they start asking questions. But what does it mean that they're trying to replace the vice president? Why would they be trying to replace her? She hasn't been in a serious scandal that the media is taking her down for. There is a rift in the white house and the Kamala team and the Biden team don't really like each other, but that stuff alone is not a justification for removing a vice president from office, especially when that vice president shares in the most votes of all time. So right now, The media is trying to make the case that Pete Buttigieg is the next in line. He's the next Democrat who's going to be the young Obama. He's young and smart and well-spoken and sophisticated, and he has all the right priorities, and he's very competent. And also, he's gay, so you can't say anything bad about him. That's helpful. Except, like Kamala Harris... No one really believes that. And I think that they know that. And I don't think that good old Mayor Pete is going to be promoted to anything. I don't see that happening. We'll see if I'm wrong. But there's someone else who they are thrusting back into the public spotlight. Who would be not only the sort of person they would pick but the sort of person they might have planned this whole thing around. And if you haven't figured out who that is yet, here's a hint.
1: There is a plot against the country by people who truly want to turn the clock back. They believe that the progress we've made on all kinds of civil rights and human rights, on um, the cultural changes that have taken place, are so deeply threatening that they want to stage a coup. Now, think about it because that's truly what is behind Trump and his enablers and those who uh, invaded and attacked our capital. They don't like the world we're living in and they have that in common with uh, you know, autocratic leaders from uh, Russia to Turkey to Hungary to Brazil and so many other places. Uh, who are driven by personal power and greed and corruption, uh, but who utilize fears about change uh, to try to get people to hate one another and feel insecure and therefore be easily manipulated by demagogues and by disinformation.
0: May I present to you Hillary Clinton, candidate for Joe Biden's new vice president and obviously unhinged conspiracy theorist who imagines the world exactly opposite of how it is. She just described the vast majority of Americans as people who are using division to acquire their own power. And of course, she substituted in Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin and Viktor Orban And she goes on to mention Poland and Brazil. But if you take away the targets of her claims and just listen to the words, she is describing in exact detail what she, the Democrat Communist Party and the global communist movement have been doing exactly. So Hillary Clinton was on with Rachel Maddow last night at the same time Donald Trump was on. With Sean Hannity and someone on Telegram, I'm sorry that I forgot who, pointed out that we're basically in 2016 over again. And it should be seen by no one as odd that they are pushing Hillary Clinton back into the spotlight. I said over a year ago that I think Joe Biden is the nominee so that he can be made a fall guy that he would come in, do all of their bidding. And when the shit starts hitting the fan, they can reliably trace all of it back to Biden, or at least enough of it that they can blame him for all of it and take him out and replace him with what they really want, as if that will be a return to normalcy. And how could they do that, okay? How could you get Hillary Clinton into the presidency of the United States. Let me speculate and suggest to you that the way they might do it would be to remove Kamala Harris, pretend to put somebody else in there, make that person untenable, and then say that we should just do the responsible thing we should have done in 2016 and made Hillary Clinton the president. Hillary Clinton deserves, through her career of exceptional public service, she's the person that can come in and help right the Biden ship as it sinks. And then they would put her in as vice president. She would be approved by the House and the Senate, and then they would just be seated. Now, then, of course... Joe Biden could be taken out either through the 25th Amendment or some health problem. And then what will we have? Well, then we would have President Hillary Clinton. And I know this is kind of out there. But think about it. Hillary Clinton is like the star of the whole George Soros show. And who could they more reliably sell to a mainstream American audience? They still imagine that Hillary Clinton is seen as a technocratic centrist. She may not be everyone's cup of tea, but she certainly knows what she's doing. She certainly knows how to handle the levers of power. So perhaps it sounds a little far-fetched, but so would realistically almost everything else we have seen happen in the last 20 plus months. If anyone had suggested these things would happen prior. Right now, the mainstream is trying to convince the entire country that mandated shots with an experimental gene therapy should be injected into children for a disease that can't kill them. That sounds pretty far fetched, too, except for the fact that it's happening. Anthony Fauci says we can expect a vaccine for infants and toddlers by early next year. And they continue to push forward with this while knowing that vaccine injuries are most prominent in younger people. But let's hear a little bit more from the candidate for vice president of the Democrat Communist Party in Joe Biden's fake administration.
1: I think we're really on the precipice, Rachel, of um, seeing people, uh, particularly in the Republican Party, but not only there, uh, who truly just want power, power uh, to impose their views, power to uh, exploit uh, financial advantage, power to uh, implement a religious uh, point of view, We see all of that converging. And as you said in the very beginning of your question, this is not an American phenomenon. You know, Anne Applebaum, who I respect greatly, has been covering this from her perch uh, in Europe, particularly in Poland, uh, because we see the signs of it uh, everywhere. You know, democracy is messy. You know, a lot of people got, oh, I think kind of frustrated looking at the messy process of legislation.
0: Once again, who in the MAGA movement is trying to take illegitimate power and use financial advantage because they're not interested in the messy process of legislation? Where is that happening? In fact, that's happening on the left. They stole an election because that's the only way that they could actually implement the global communist agenda in America. It is impossible to convince Americans that any of this stuff is what they actually want, which is why they never voted for it. And let me just go back to that first clip for a second, because she talked about a coup. A coup is not Donald Trump winning The election in 2016, a coup is also not Donald Trump winning the election in 2020 and then wanting that result to actually place him as president as it should have because he won and a coup is not searching for election integrity while it's obvious to the majority of the country that the election was indeed stolen. And that's all what we actually see in the real world. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016 with the DNC hired Fusion GPS, and they had Christopher Steele produce the Steele dossier, and they used it to obtain FISA warrants, to tap the phones and monitor the communications, to spy on people connected to the Trump campaign. And spy on the people those people talk to and the people those people talk to and the people those people talk to so that they could find out exactly what was going on within the Trump campaign and undermine one side's political candidate for president. And when that didn't work, they continued down the same path. Hillary Clinton knew it. Barack Obama knew it. Joe Biden knew it. And they were aided by the cia and the fbi these are just proven facts this isn't a conspiracy theory it's a conspiracy to stage a soft coup which is exactly what they did and then they continued to undermine that president joe biden suggested that michael flynn be brought up on charges for violating the logan act in a meeting with barack obama and a bunch of other co-conspirators And sure enough, they were able to take out Donald Trump's national security advisor. And then they started the Mueller investigation that took years and dominated the mainstream media and undermined a duly elected president in the minds of American citizens and throughout the world, which has a direct negative impact on our nation's ability to defend itself. And since then, they have tried two completely illegitimate impeachments for things they set up and did. And let's not forget that these are also the people who put the election fraud apparatus in place. So really, I don't think anyone needs to hear about a coup from Hillary Clinton. But let's get one more clip in.
1: But because of the way We are getting our information today, and because of the lack of gatekeepers and people who have a historic perspective uh, who can help us understand what we are seeing, there is a real vulnerability in the electorate uh, to the kind of demagoguery and disinformation that unfortunately the other side is really good at exploiting.
0: Now, that's pretty incredible coming from a member of the Democrat Communist Party. The party who happens to be changing the definitions of words left and right and is legitimately writing alternate histories of the United States and trying to teach them to children. But she's concerned that there aren't enough gatekeepers because she thinks the electorate, which means all of us, is stupid. We have no ability to figure out what's true and false. So what we need more of are communists on MSNBC, communists on CNN, communists at the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, and communists at the tech companies so that the tech companies can figure out what stuff to censor. And they're presenting all of this as if if everyone just had a proper understanding of history, they would see what all this is. And I agree with her about that. Unfortunately, everything she has described throughout this interview, those are all things they're doing. And those things all do have historical precedent. And if we see them, it's not hard to call them what they are. And so let's examine where we are with election fraud right now. And I'm going to get to Mike Lindell's complaint to the Supreme Court in just a few minutes. But first, I want to go through Tim Ramthon's, uh joint resolution to the Wisconsin Assembly that was submitted the other day. So here that is. Relating to Wisconsin election reform and reclaiming the electoral ballots for president and vice president that were fraudulently certified, whereas the Wisconsin Supreme Court stated in Trump versus Biden 2020. Wisconsin 91 on March 25th, 2020, the Dane and Milwaukee County clerks issued guidance on Facebook, suggesting all voters could declare themselves indefinitely confined because of the pandemic and the governor's then existing safer at home order. This court unanimously deemed that advice incorrect on March 31st, 2020. And we noted that the Wisconsin Election Committee guidance provides the clarification on this purpose and proper use of the indefinitely confined status that is required at this time, which verifies that the Elections Commission gave improper guidance in the 2020 election. And whereas on December 7th, 2020, Elections Commissioner Dean Knudsen filed a complaint against Megan Wolfe under Wisconsin statute seven point seven zero. For the rushed ascertainment of certification of the 2020 election before time for filing an appeal of the recount had passed and revealed the planned haste to circumvent any further discussion or objection. And whereas the assembly committee on campaigns and elections has collected nearly 3,000 documents and emails with connection to election manipulations by the center for tech and civic life in five of Wisconsin's largest cities. And there are five lawsuits in those cities against the elections commission. And whereas data experts have studied the historical voter trends based on population growth for both the entirety of the state of Wisconsin and its counties individually. And those studies reveal the normal inverse relationship of data was not present in the 2020 election results, which is a statistical impossibility. And whereas the Wisconsin vote database reflects 7.1 million registered voters in a state with a population of 5.8 million and a voting age population of 4.5 million. And the WIS Vote database is riddled with incomplete and misrepresented data, including thousands of voters with the same phone numbers, addresses, and faulty zip codes, all of which reflects gross negligence in maintaining the database. And whereas grassroots canvassing efforts reveal 200 addresses in 31 counties in Wisconsin that have 200 to 400 registered voters at a single address... And a sampling of a thousand actual 2020 absentee ballot envelopes from Milwaukee County found 23 percent had questionable addresses. And whereas the Elections Commission voted to do upgrades on Dominion voting machines on June 2nd, 2021 and following a press release on August 11th, 2021, Voicing concerns about the deletion of log file data from those upgrades, the commission voted to allow upgrades to new ES&S voting machines on September 9, 2021, with no reassurances of protecting the data of the 2020 election on older machines, even though it was revealed the upgrades do erase log file data kept on the machine hard drives. And whereas the audit report of the nonpartisan Legislative Audit Bureau identified 44,272 voters who did not provide proper voter identification in the 2020 general election, revealed the mass increase of indefinitely confined voters from 4,505 in 2019 to 169,901 in 2020, and made 30 recommendations for the Elections Commission to rectify their actions. And whereas a total of 50 of the 69 county GOP parties released letters of support or resolutions asking for further investigation into the election process, showing that over two-thirds of Wisconsin Republicans have no faith in the Elections Commission. And whereas commissioners and staff of the Elections Commission prevented the deployment of special voting deputies to care facilities, as confirmed by the Racine County Sheriff's Department, which found that on March 12, 2020, The elections commission knowingly and willfully directed all 72 county clerks to violate Wisconsin statutes regarding absentee voting in certain residential care facilities and retirement homes. And the commission's unlawful direction clearly broke Wisconsin statute, which refers to intentionally violating election laws. And whereas the U.S. Supreme Court has found that fraud vitiates and nullifies any contract in Boyce's executors versus Grundy. Fraud vitiates the most solemn contracts, documents, and even judgments. United States versus Throckmorton. And whereas the November 2020 Wisconsin general election as regulated and directed by the elections commission was one of the most haphazard, controversial and poorly managed elections in state history, shaking citizens confidence in fair elections across Wisconsin. And with the culmination of these evidences prove the results of the Commission's certification of the 2020 election are considered fraudulent. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the assembly, the Senate concurring. That the accumulated evidence proves the actions taken by the Elections Commission to certify the 2020 presidential election shall be considered fraudulent under Wisconsin statute. And be it further resolved that the Wisconsin legislature, pursuant to its authority under Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 and the Ninth and 10th Amendments of the U.S. Constitution, reclaims Wisconsin's 10 fraudulent electoral ballots cast for Joseph R. Biden and Kamala Harris, And be it further resolved that the Wisconsin legislature shall pass legislation with the intention to clean up the WIS vote database and create separate servers for active and inactive voters. And be it further resolved that the Wisconsin legislature supports a full forensic physical and cyber audit of the 2020 general election, that this full forensic physical and cyber audit should be conducted by an independent and nonpartisan auditing firm approved by the assembly committee on campaigns and elections, and that this full forensic physical and cyber audit must include the following components one total examination of voting system machines including browsers tabulators scanners routers and firewalls switches network and out-of-band management cards internet or network connectivity network and remote access remote access applications software installed or removed on the system Flash drives, thumb drives, event logs, scripts that have been run, the date on which data were last modified and what data were modified, whether during or after the election, systems and security updates, password policies, multi-factor authentication, databases, adjudication records, administrator accounts, and login records. Two. Kinematic examination of all physical paper ballots, including whether ballots meet industry maximum allowable compliance for out-of-calibration measurements, ballot thickness to prevent bleed-through, types of markers used, printed ballots, quantity of ballots, ballot trail, voter roll in comparison to ballots, mail-in ballot standards, and ballot watermarks and dot coding. Three, physical canvas, including whether county clerks and election employees and volunteers followed election rules and regulations mandated by their county. Four, transparency and be it further resolved that in order to ensure transparency, all such audits shall be streamed for public viewing and recorded via security video to be run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Until all such audits are complete, and be it further resolved that the Wisconsin legislature shall pass legislation specifically intended to secure the integrity of future elections in Wisconsin based on the findings of the Legislative Audit Bureau investigation, the Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Elections investigation, and the full forensic, physical, and cyber audit. And be it further resolved that the Secretary of State of the State of Wisconsin is hereby directed to forward a proper, authenticated copy of this resolution. To the President of the Senate of the United States. Now, obviously, that is not all done and dusted yet, but it has been entered, and Tim Rampton is going to need some support. So, if you're in Wisconsin, get on the phones and ask your state legislators to step up and abide by the oath they have sworn. The election in Wisconsin. And every other state was fraudulently certified, and the people involved in the certification certainly knew it, or their level of ignorance and incompetence is so staggering that they should not be in public office. Those are the only options. It was obvious to everyone, and there was plenty of time to have the evidence and the factual support of the claims of fraud. That all could have and should have happened before any of the other constitutional processes were completed. This week, the Racine County Sheriff's Department has announced they are filing criminal charges against five of the six members of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. The charges include misconduct in public office, election fraud, election official assisting with violations, in violation of Wisconsin statute, which is a felony. The first one was as well. Party to the crime of election fraud. And there are three different misdemeanors under that heading. So whoever wants to pretend that this stuff isn't real or isn't happening is going to have to contend with the fact that it is real and it is happening. And so I'm going to read a bit of the Lindell case, the complaint was put out yesterday. This is going to be sent to the Supreme Court by attorneys general around the country. And so I'm going to give you the introduction and then the remedy sought. And this thing is 82 pages long. I suggest you read it. It's a quick read. It's very readable. It's not just all legal jargon. And then eventually we will get all the evidentiary exhibits and i'm sure that those will be made public soon as well but a lot of this stuff is stuff that we have gone over time and time again so the suit begins with a quote from john adams you will never know how much it has cost my generation to preserve your freedom i hope you will make a good use of it and this is the introduction we are in uncharted territory as a nation the november 2020 election was stolen Our country is divided in a manner not seen in over a century. Just last month, 56% of respondents agreed that it's likely that cheating affected the outcome of the 2020 presidential election, a 5% increase since April 2021. The fault for this deepening divide lies directly with the federal and state public officials who not only abdicated their sworn duty to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, but in many cases actively sought to subvert it. The justices of this court can no longer ignore what the public already sees, a time in history like that which Churchill once characterized as a gathering storm. Revelations of rampant lawlessness by officials in states like Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona and Pennsylvania, collectively defendant states involving outcome changing illegal votes appear daily. For example, in Pennsylvania, after all counties had finally uploaded their official November 2020 election results, there were still 49,171 more votes than voters, just one of many examples of illegal votes. Under express Pennsylvania law, the election should not have been certified. This September, it was revealed that election officials in Maricopa County, Arizona, were caught red-handed destroying election records from the November 2020 election. In violation of federal law after a court rejected the county's attempt to thwart the Arizona Senate's investigation into the November 2020 election. That investigation also found tens of thousands of illegal ballots and that there were hundreds of thousands of corrupted or missing ballot images on which the November 2020 election vote count is based. Also in September, a renowned cybersecurity expert, University of Michigan Professor J. Alex Halderman, revealed in a Georgia federal court that he had conclusively demonstrated that Dominion Voting Systems machines used in at least 16 states can be easily hacked to, quote, steal votes. Inexplicably, the district court denied Professor Halderman's request to strategically unseal his expert report detailing these systemic vulnerabilities for the limited purpose of bringing it to the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency to attempt to fix these issues before the next election. Professor Halderman also testified that Georgia's secretary of state, Raffensperger, a defendant in that case, refused to even look at the report or meet with him to go over these dangerous security vulnerabilities. The district court's decision to bury Professor Halderman's evidence and prevent it from being shared with authorities charged with protecting elections is unfathomable. This October, the Racine County, Wisconsin sheriff announced the results of a felony criminal investigation of the Wisconsin Election Commission into illegal vote harvesting in nursing homes. The sheriff stated that the governing election statute was in fact not just broken, but shattered. In all 72 counties across Wisconsin and referred the case for prosecution, the validity of up to 50,000 ballots may be at issue as a consequence. Two issues regarding the November 2020 election are not in dispute. First, in the months leading up to the November 2020 election, a few non-legislative officials in the defendant states used the COVID-19 pandemic as an excuse to unconstitutionally revise or violate their state's election laws. Their actions had one effect, to uniformly weaken security measures put in place by state legislatures to protect the integrity of the vote. These changes squarely violated the electors' clause of Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, vesting state legislatures with plenary authority to make election law. These government officials then flooded the defendant states with millions of illegal ballots to be sent through the mail or placed in drop boxes with little or no chain of custody as required by law. Second... The United States failure to challenge the defendant state's violation of Article two, including at a time when four of eight justices had evenly split on whether to hear such violations in October 2020, violated the take care clause and the guarantee clause of the Constitution, commanding that the executive, quote, shall take care and that laws shall be faithfully executed, end quote, and that, quote, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government, end quote. A stolen election, as the November 2020 election was, neither faithfully executes the law nor provides a Republican form of government. Since Marbury versus Madison, this court has, on significant occasions, had to step into the breach in a time of tumult, declare what the law is, and write the ship. This is just such an occasion. In fact, it is situations precisely like the present, when the Constitution has been cast aside unchecked. That leads us to the current precipice. In times such as this, it is the duty of the court to be a faithful guardian of the Constitution. And that is from the Federalist No. 78, Alexander Hamilton writing. Against that background, the plaintiff state brings this action based on the following allegations. And then, please, everyone, take a look, read this stuff, understand how thoroughly investigated and fully backed up by verifiable evidence. All of these claims are the claims are overwhelming. They go through them state by state saying exactly what happened in each of the states, the people who are responsible and part of it and the effect that it had. Okay. So now I'm going to jump down toward the end to get to the remedies sought. And these are under the heading prayer for relief. Wherefore, the plaintiff state respectfully requests that this court issue the following relief. One. One. Declare that defendant states administered the November 2020 election in violation of the electors clause and the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution Two, declare that the United States and officer defendants violated the guarantee clause and the take care clause with respect to allowing the foregoing constitutional violations by the defendant states in administering the November 2020 election. Three, declare that the defendant state certification of the November 2020 election results and of presidential electors on or about December 14th, 2020, violated the electors clause and the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and vacate those certifications Four. Declare that the defendant states' certification of the November 2020 election results and of presidential electors on or about December 14th, 2020 violated the electors clause and the 14th amendment of the U S constitution and vacate those certifications five declare that the United States violated the guarantee clause in allowing the November 2020 election to proceed on the basis of the unconstitutional results in defendant states. Six, declare that the president, attorney general, and vice president violated the take care clause by failing to act to remedy the violations of the Constitution in the November 2020 election. Seven, enjoin the use of vacated certifications in defendant states use of the 2020 election results for the office of president to appoint presidential electors to the Electoral College. 8. Declare that the counting of electoral votes in the joint session of Congress on January 6th and 7th, 2021, violated the Electors Clause, the Due Process Clause, the Guarantee Clause, the Take Care Clause, and the 12th Amendment and vacate that count. 9. Enjoin the officer defendants to convene special sessions of the House of Representatives and the Senate to vote for the President and Vice President, respectively, pursuant to the 12th Amendment. Alternatively, Authorize, pursuant to the court's remedial authority, the defendant states to conduct a special election to appoint presidential electors. Alternatively, authorize pursuant to the court's remedial authority. The defendant states to conduct an audit of their election results supervised by a court appointed special master in a manner to be determined separately. 12, enjoin defendant state's use in future elections of revisions adopted by non-legislative actors to the election laws enacted by the state legislatures, unless the legislature ratifies any such revisions by enacting them as state law before the election. 13, award costs to plaintiff state. 14, grant such other relief as the court deems just and proper. So all of that sounds very actionable to me. The evidence is obviously there. They have expert and witness testimony. They have, or have at least said they have whistleblower testimony. And we're going to have to see what all the exhibits actually are. And then we're just going to have to hope that the Supreme Court and the individual justices will abide by their oath and act on this evidence and remove these illegitimate treasonous criminals from office because they never should have been seated in the first place. And that by now should be completely obvious. And as was mentioned earlier, fraud vitiates everything. That means that everything done stemming from that fraud is also erased, which would kind of take care of all of the executive orders and all of the bills and all of the other nonsense the fake president has pushed through. Now, I was a bit surprised that this case is focused only on those five swing states, because certainly they have ample evidence from states across the country. But I am guessing that they just wanted to keep this targeted and make it quite clear in one fell swoop that Joe Biden did not win and that the results saying that Joe Biden won cannot be trusted by anyone and should not be trusted by anyone because they are the product of blatant and obvious and overwhelming intentional fraud and malfeasance. This stuff is just going to keep developing over the next few days. Lindell is going to be on war room this afternoon discussing it. And then he's doing another, uh, Frank TV, like marathon 96 hours from, I guess a minute after midnight tonight, all the way through Sunday night. So it's super important to pay attention to this stuff. again, This has the power to push our narrative forward, regardless of what the Supreme Court does. We can't control that. What we can control is familiarizing ourselves with this case and being able to talk about it to other people, being able to share it with other people, being able to say, hey, yeah. The evidence actually is there and it's completely overwhelming. And I know you haven't heard any of this stuff because the mainstream media wouldn't allow you to hear it, but all these claims here are actually true. And there is so much more that's not in this complaint. So I'm kind of interested to see what will be added on to this in terms of further evidence or additional complaints. And of course, one of the keys to all of this is to see how many attorneys general around the country do indeed file this. There has been a lot of interference this week from uh, Rana Romney McDaniel and the RNC. They are putting pressure on attorneys general around the country to not be part of this. That is who we are dealing with. There is no responsible Republican in the country who is committed to the country who should not be begging to be a part of this just to cover their own asses, if nothing else. But instead, they're trying to pretend that this isn't happening, this doesn't exist, and this will never be fixed. They don't want the election fixed. They want to maintain the power and the dominance of the uniparty, and they want to put more rhinos in position to continue on with the party as it stands now. It's amazing to me, by this point, these people don't understand what they are playing with. I don't know how many times they think they can kick the hornet's nest. We are going to make sure that no Republican who has denied election fraud is ever in political office ever again. The only way these corrupt people can maintain power is by keeping the election fraud apparatus in place. That's it. And that's why they're trying to do it. Benefiting from the fraudulent system and helping to keep it in place is exactly the same as being a part of it from the beginning. And all of them know that on a principled moral level, and they think they can get away with it regardless. These are petty criminals. And they will be treated as petty criminals. Now, in both Tim Rampton's resolution in Wisconsin and within the lawsuit we just went over, there are mentions of the effect of the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Now, the Center for Tech and Civic Life is Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan's little election theft operation. This is from yesterday in CapitalResearch.org. Zuckerberg's election meddling could be emulated by foreign interests. This is by Parker Thayer. Mark Zuckerberg's invention opened U.S. elections up to manipulation by foreign powers that everyone should be aware of. No, not Facebook. His other invention, the private funding of public election offices. When Zuckerberg contributed roughly $400 million to the Center for Tech and Civic Life to privately finance public election offices, he was the first person ever to do so. It was a strategy simply unheard of before 2020. And this second invention of the billionaire who became famous for his serious effect on tech had a serious effect on elections. But while speaking out against Facebook and the damage it's done to democracy earns a segment on 60 Minutes, speaking out about Zuckerberg and his Zuck Bucks might find one labeled a conspiracy theorist. The idea that Zuckerberg impacted elections in partisan ways through Facebook is almost universally accepted. But strangely, the idea he did the same through the Center for Tech and Civic Life, CTCL, is somehow too far-fetched. The reality is that CTCL impacted the 2020 election in ways Facebook never could, and legislators should be just as anxious to address Zuckbucks as they are Facebook. For proof, look no further than Wisconsin, where, in true Facebook fashion, one of CTCL's grant advisors leveraged the terms and conditions of Zuckerberg's funding to access information they had no right to see. Reports show that Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, CTCL's Wisconsin grant advisor, who once worked as a Democratic consultant in New York, became de facto elections chief for Wisconsin's five largest cities, despite holding no office. Spitzer Rubenstein rewrote the rules for ballot curing in Milwaukee, requested to be allowed to personally cure ballots in Green Bay, helped election administrators decide how ballots would be transported, rented the room where ballots were to be stored in Green Bay and was given the keys to the hotel convention room where absentee ballots in Green Bay were stored days in advance of the election. In fact, Spitzer Rubinstein was so intrusive and domineering that the Green Bay city clerk resigned just before the election in disgust after her superiors ignored repeated email complaints questioning the legality and ethics of Spitzer Rubinstein's involvement. Facebook might be a cesspool filled with lies, vitriol and organized disinformation campaigns. But is it more frightening than a billionaire funded political consultant with quite literally the keys to an election? The details of how CTCL funds were used in Wisconsin are disturbing, but more disturbing is the fact that it was all legal. Most disturbing is that anybody else is free to do the same. Anybody. Oil tycoons, hedge fund managers, banking executives, literally anybody can fund 501c3 nonprofits like the Center for Tech and Civic Life, and they can do it anonymously since 501c3s are not legally required to disclose their donors. Worse yet, they wouldn't even have to be a U.S. citizen because there are no rules against foreign donors either. A Russian oil oligarch looking to cripple his U.S. competitors could create a charitable front group to disproportionately fund election offices of more environmentally conscious counties in hopes they would shut down drilling. A foreign dictator hoping to lift economic sanctions could use a nonprofit cultural center to pay for an election office's voter outreach campaign, but provide much more money to counties where a senator or presidential candidate sympathetic to their plight is winning. This may sound like modern-day McCarthyism, but there are numerous examples of foreign actors influencing U.S. elections in both 2016 and 2020. Hans-Jörg Wiss, for example, is a little-known Swiss billionaire who illegally gave thousands to PACs which non-citizens are not allowed to do more than 30 times over several years before the FEC caught on. In 2021, the New York Times called this an influential force among Democrats, despite the fact that he can't contribute to candidates or political parties because he uses his private foundation to funnel tens of millions of dollars into nonpartisan political advocacy groups each year, many of them 501c3s, just like CTCL. Just this year, accusations surfaced that Viss once again broke election law due to his involvement with the Arabella Advisors Network, along with reports that he attempted to purchase numerous U.S. newspapers, including the Chicago Tribune, the Baltimore Sun and the Daily News. Furthermore, leaked internal memos showed that the Viss Foundation developed a $100 million democracy strategy that included funding get-out-the-vote drives and lobbying to change election laws and shared it directly with John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, just before the 2016 election. This has no qualms about intervening in U.S. elections, and now that Zuckerberg has paved the way, Viss might attempt to use his dark money network to follow suit. The same goes for the Russian government, who famously tried to influence elections using targeted misinformation campaigns on Facebook in 2016, and the Iranian and Chinese governments who reportedly attempted to do the same in 2020. It's far from a conspiracy theory to say that Zuckbucks gave Mark Zuckerberg a concerning level of influence over the 2020 election, and it's just as reasonable to be worried that foreign interests will attempt to mimic Zuckerberg in the future. Luckily, dozens of states have put forward legislation to ban further private funding of election offices, but dozens more have yet to act. With 2022 fast approaching, time is running out for state legislatures to act, and if they don't, our elections could be open to more interference and manipulation than ever before. So is everyone understanding that this was the safest and most secure election in the history of our country yet or no? And finally, speaking of our wholly corrupt and illegitimate government and its interplay with the big tech firms, this is from Monday in the Hill. Justice Department defends section 230 protections in Trump suit by Chris Mills Rodrigo. The Justice Department stepped into Former President Trump's lawsuit against Facebook Monday to defend Section 230, an internet communications law criticized by both Trump and his successor. The department intervened in a lawsuit that Trump brought against the social media giant for suspending his account in the wake of the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Monday's filing notes that the government is stepping in, quote, for the limited purpose of defending the constitutionality of Section 230C, end quote. The 1996 law, which protects online platforms from liability for content posted by third parties and allows them to conduct good faith content moderation, was a favored target of Trump during his term. And now the Hill is misstating intentionally what Section 230 allows them to do. But we can go into that in greater length another time. He argued that the law gives cover for platforms to discriminate against conservatives, an allegation that has yet to be substantiated. Again, that is an utterly ridiculous claim. The former president signed an executive order aimed at dismantling the law, but the order was revoked early into President Biden's term before any concrete action was taken. Biden has not positioned himself as a defender of Section 230 either. He called for it to be immediately revoked on the campaign trail and has not publicly changed that position as president. Trump also sued YouTube and Twitter at the same time as Facebook for pulling down his accounts. Judges have ordered the cases against YouTube and Twitter be transferred to Northern California, where the companies are based. A motion to move the Facebook suit to the same location remains pending. And that's it from the Hill. Isn't that strange that Joe Biden last year wanted Section 230 removed. But now Joe Biden's illegitimate hack of an attorney general Merrick Garland is intervening in the Trump lawsuit to support the constitutionality of Section 230. And why would that be? Well, it seems like maybe they're scared of Donald Trump being put back on social media. But it's not just about Trump. If they lose their Section 230 protections... They're going to have a real hard time censoring half of the country as they are now. And if they don't have that censorship and they don't have algorithms that are weighted to show people only certain things, then they would actually have to allow the country to exist in a free market of information. And in a free market of information, people would actually have to be able to back up the things they're saying. And they would have to be accountable to the people listening when those people say, Hey, that's wrong. And here are all the reasons why. If that happens, the blue and on check marks on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram would finally have to see what the public actually thinks about them and their ideas. They are living inside a bubble that was built to protect them from ever understanding what the general public actually thinks about any of this stuff. So they operate in this protected space where everything they say and do goes unchallenged, no matter how violent it is, how racist it is, how divisive it is, how anti-scientific it is. They wouldn't last a day if they actually had to see what real people think. And you can see it's true. Today, Molly Jong Fast, who is one of the craziest communists in media, wrote an article for The Atlantic about deprogramming your relatives at Thanksgiving. And she made a subheadline that says, and if that doesn't work, maybe you can report them to the FBI. She got some measure of blowback and has since changed the article. But Molly Jong Fast suggesting that other people need to be deprogrammed is a product of exactly what I'm talking about. No rational, sane person who is able to hear all sides of the public discussion could ever imagine that Molly Jong Fast is the one to save the country from deprogramming rather than one of the psychological operations' biggest victims. She's one of the people who wouldn't leave her house last year Because she was deathly afraid of a disease that almost definitely could not kill her. And she is representative of that class of people. And that class of people controls the public narrative. At least they did. Not anymore. Imagine what all of that looks like in a free market of information. Imagine how many Americans would believe that Joe Biden could have received 81 million real legal American votes. It's already less than half the country now. And that's with the censorship and everything else. The truth is coming and they can't stop it. And they know it. I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. It is my favorite holiday and... I hope you are all blessed with some family and some friends you can be around and some good food to eat and some drinks to drink. And I will be back on Friday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm Your Moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm Reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm Your Moderator. The sub stack is I'mYourModerator.substack.com and the merch site is com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time. Out on the rain.